Good morning. As we begin, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. This is beginning in verse 22. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is the author of one of the gospel accounts in what we call the New Testament. Along with the author Matthew, these two talk uh, are talked about during Advent season most often because they give the de- most detailed report of Jesus' birth. Now, as you open up to Luke chapter 2, starting verse 22, I want you to think of a question. Now, I'm discovering that each of us have these rabbit holes of entertainment that we can easily get dragged into for hours. My question for you is, what's yours? For some, it's cat videos. I've heard recently people uh, enjoy watching pressure washing videos and just watching the uh, driveways and walkways just cleaned of all the dirt. For a long time, mine, including watching people who had just had their wisdom teeth pulled and the absolute ridiculous things they would say. I remember a few years ago when I was about to get my wisdom teeth pulled and I was terrified that I would end up viral on YouTube because of the ridiculous things that would come out of my mouth. Thankfully, my dentist did not put me fully under and I was able to walk out without any ridicule and scorn. Recently, I found myself captivated by people in the tech industry talking about AI or artificial intelligence and the future of technology. Last week, I saw a video of someone talking specifically about what AI is now capable of producing. There are now programs you can put a few words into and a brand new image is created within five seconds. I did it this morning. I put in um, Santa Claus golfing at Augusta National. I put Jesus returning on clouds and in this program, five uh, or four different pictures pop up. Now they're not perfect, but the clearer you get and the better you are at prompting, it's amazing what they're capable of doing. One person wrote Robert De Niro as Gandalf and within five seconds, poof, there this brand new image was. Certain AI is now learning to read between the lines. A few years ago, an AI program defeated a grandmaster in the ancient Chinese board game called Go. One stop too technical and too many moving pieces for AI to do anything. It can now read between the lies and it did so in a way that it's teaching the grandmaster new techniques of the game that he's perfected. There's technology coming about that's going to make homework obsolete. And all the students around us say, hallelujah. Programs can write unique and original pieces simply by giving them homework assignments. Now, it's not what current programs do that go and find others assignment and put your name on it. No, it's literally creating brand new assignments. I went on an AI program today and I put in church discipline letter to sinner and it put together a one page very articulate gospel light unfortunately but letter that could easily be given to somebody that you're calling to repentance it was mind-boggling to me in essence tech is working to shorten 
the distance between ideas and reality. I mean, this is already being done. I remember pre-Google when a group of us would sit around a table and wrestle with who was the actor from that one movie. I remember library cards. When you wanted to learn something, you would, there would be a time between the idea, a waiting period, and then the reality of learning the information you wanted to know. Now, we already have it so quick in that I can just find out by talking to my watch. Now, the tech of the future is shortening that window. It's taking away this experience of waiting, the distance between idea and reality, promise and fulfillment. As you think of this type of technology, what stirs within you? Are you fascinated? Are you an early adopter who wants to buy the first mass-produced version of whatever comes out? Or is this concerning to you? Do you have images of Will Smith's iRobot running through your brain? As I've watched, I find myself captivated and in awe. It's truly remarkable. And yet if I pay close enough attention, I find myself fearful. I know technology has already changed the world and it's going to continue to do so. But this change, how fast paced it's transforming our society, it produces fear as well. And this fear takes away my sense of peace. During the Advent season, we look at the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus. We look at how people were waiting for him to arrive, that God had made promises in the past that they, he would one day fulfill. And there's the gap between promise and fulfillment, idea and reality. We look at how people are waiting for him to arrive, how they, it brings hope, like Chris spoke of last week, how we can, as disciples, experience joy and love in the midst of waiting. And today, our topic, peace. As disciples of Jesus and as a church family, we are called to experience God's peace while waiting for God's action. So Luke chapter 2 in verse 22, we're introduced to two characters that are often overlooked in the birth of Jesus. Two old saints in the faith, two people who capture what it means to wait And two who can speak to the peace that we long to see. Their names, Simeon and Anna. Let's read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, they, uh, Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written to the law, in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said uh, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and have lived, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with prayer and fasting night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were what? Waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We're introduced to these characters starting in verse 25. Joseph and Mary, as faithful Israelites, were going about their duty of purification and presentation to the Lord as written about in the law of Moses. Purification for Mary after giving birth and presentation for Jesus as the firstborn. Simeon is described here as righteous and devout. And then it says, one um, one whom the Holy Spirit was upon. He was told by the Spirit that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. Verse 27 says that he's in the Spirit, which means that he's being guided and led by the Spirit to go to the temple at that very moment. Simeon takes baby Jesus into his arms and knows by the Spirit somehow, some way, that the Word of God told him that this is the one he had been waiting for. Now, I want you to think about the waiting of Simeon for a moment. The text does not give us the exact amount of time of his waiting. But my guess is, knowing how God works in the scriptures, is that he was not told that morning. Likely, Simeon was told years before this. So imagine being given a promise by God. And what it would be like that first few days after hearing it. You have high hopes, high expectations. Today is going to be the day. But what happens when those days of waiting turns into weeks? And then weeks turn into months. Months turn into years. And potentially even to decades. Waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. Waiting for what God Waiting for God to do what he said he would do. Likewise, Anna, according to other translations, makes it clear that she's been a widow for 84 years. 
She's been proclaiming and talking about the consolation of Israel, the return of the Messiah, constantly going to the temple for prayer and worship. She's part of the Israelite nation who's been promised by God that there would be one to come. And yet there was no fulfillment. God had been silent for 400 years up to this point. And they're just waiting for God to do what he said he would do. I want you to think about your life for a moment. What is it that you're waiting for? Is there hope that this upcoming vacation will bring you peace? Are you a student waiting for this quarter or semester to be done to get some needed rest? Maybe you've got a family member that you've been constantly praying that they come to faith and you're just waiting. Or for someone to finally get their act together and start acting wisely. All of us are waiting. Waiting has really captured my heart and mind over this past year. It's really amazing to think about how much of life is not about fulfillment, it's about waiting. If you're like me, waiting is not a source of peace. The longer I go waiting, I tend to find myself more anxious and eager. I wanna move fast, get on to the next thing and suck out all the joy from life that I possibly can. It's like I've heard God speak. I know what he says. I understand his promises. I know what he's spoken to me like Simeon. I want to see the results now. And oftentimes it feels like waiting opposes the full life that Jesus promised. Waiting does not produce peace. So how are you and I to experience peace in a world where we wait so much? where you have more desires than reality, where you have more promises than fulfillment. They weren't waiting for Christmas morning to open their gifts. They weren't waiting to see if their Christmas list was read twice. They were waiting on God to act. They were waiting on God to do what he said he would do. For Simeon, he was waiting to see the Messiah. For Anna, she was waiting for the redemption of Israel. For both of them, by the Spirit's guidance and the Scripture's teaching, both of them were waiting for God. I mean, they have Scriptures in mind like Isaiah 9 verse 6, which we read earlier in our Advent lighting. And it's a common passage in Advent. Let me read it again. This is Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this day forth and forevermore. Listen, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What were they expecting God to do? To bring about his kingdom. Verse 7 says his government or his kingdom would increase 
and his peace, his shalom, the fulfillment of what the garden was like, would have no end. The leader of this kingdom is called the Prince of Peace. They're literally waiting on peace. I mean, think of such high expectations that they have. And yet, they're waiting with this external pressure that comes from occupation. The nation of Israel at the time was under occupation. Once a nation with its own leadership, now they are under the rule of Rome. They couldn't live according to their laws and customs given by God, but they were actually ridiculed and scorned by the surrounding culture. For them, what took away their peace was an external pressure. Now for us in the United States at this moment in history, it's hard to account for what they are experiencing. We are often aware of wars and conflicts all over the world. But by God's grace, we live in relative lack of fear of this. Our neighbors to the north aren't going to try to overtake us. There's no history with them that they are going to try to rule over us. I mean, it's been amazing to listen to stories from our friends coming here from Ukraine about what they've had to endure. The fact that those stories seem so foreign to me and to us show how much we live in relative peace. Now, I don't want to throw out the you've got it better card. Now, if you like me as a parent, when my kids are getting sassy and spoiled, my first reaction in my flesh is often, you just need to go with Jeff to Sierra Leone. You need to go and see how good you've got it. Right? Often, these can be good reminders that build contentment and peace. But we... We, brothers and sisters, by God's grace and his leading in the world, we do have it fairly good. And it's hard for us to get into their minds, but their peace is being robbed because they're occupied by a foreign ruler. And this, the gospel has far-reaching implications. The gospel doesn't just bring an internal peace, which we shall see in a moment. It changes the complete makeup of our world. Nations and kings will one day bow down to Jesus. Evil regimes will be eradicated. There will be no sickness, pain, or even our greatest enemy, death itself. Now, we aren't under an evil regime seeking to drain us of our peace. There are things, however, that take away our peace in our individual lives. If evil and darkness works cosmically or at the national level, it also works at the internal personal level. When you think of your life, what are the reasons right now you're not at peace? What is it like for it to wait for that fulfillment? Family members sick relationships strained, promises from God yet unfulfilled. It's not just waiting for external reasons our peace needs to be dealt with. We each 
have internal wrestlings that take away our peace and produce anxiety. Now, I'm not speaking about the chemical imbalances that produce anxiety and depression. I'm, I'm speaking about the anxiousness that comes from being part of a sinful world. Much, if we're honest, takes away our peace. Much of our life is trying to maintain that peace, hold on to that peace, strive for it. And the longer we go waiting, oftentimes the harder it is for us to hold on. So amid the external and internal areas where we lack peace, where we wait for God to move, the question for us is, how do we wait? Psalm 37 talks a lot about waiting. Three different times the passage tells us to wait. Its author, David, talks about different types of waiting. And there's two words for waiting in this passage. Uh, the first one is found in Psalm 37, verse 7. It says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Now notice, this uh, waiting has a qualifier. It says, wait patiently. Now that's one word in the Hebrew, and this word is rarely defined as waiting. Most often, it's translated as anguishing, birthing, and even trembling. This waiting captures the idea of waiting like being in labor. There's a yearning for something more, something to be birthed, and it's often painful. I'm beginning to see why older translations use the word long-suffering. It has more potency than the word patience. It's more what the experience is like as we wait. It's suffering over the long haul, the waiting, the desire, the yearning for something to be birthed while we wait patiently for him. And then there's a second type of waiting. And we find this uh, in the second Hebrew of Psalm 37, verses 9 and 34. And this is what those verses say. Verse 9, for the evil evildoer shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And in verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his promise and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. This waiting is about waiting with hope, waiting with expectation for God to move. It's one thing to wait for someone that doesn't have any power to change things. It's, it's different, however, when you wait on the sovereign Lord of the universe who has all power and control. This can either produce in you a waiting that is hopeful in that you know whose hands it, it, this issue in your life is in. Or it can produce that anxious type of waiting where you say, God, you have power. Why have you not worked yet? 
Where you say, how long, oh Lord, you yearn, you long for something else. And oftentimes those experiences are day to day and moment to moment. Where I go from, God, how long, oh Lord, to God, you're in control. I trust you. I wait upon you. How do we wait with hope and expectation while we're anguishing for God to birth something new? At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, you don't get peace amid the storms of life apart from peace with God. It's only when we are at peace with God that we can truly, deeply, and confidently have internal peace in the midst of external hardships. We look back at the coming of Jesus who came to do something about the lacking peace in our world. The Prince of Peace entered into the chaotic and sinful world around him. Hear what he was called, Prince of Peace. What was Jesus' mission? It wasn't just to be born that we celebrate rightly during our Advent season. But he had a mission. His mission was to showcase and proclaim the entrance of the kingdom of God. That kingdom of peace that would have no end. Jesus inaugurates. He inaugurates a new way of life for his followers. To walk in a love that would radically transform the world. But he had to do something to activate that kingdom. The birth of Jesus ultimately leads to the death on the cross. Christmas culminates in Good Friday and Easter weekend. And what happened on Good Friday? Isaiah 53 promises and prophesied what would happen. This is known as the passage of the suffering servant. And this is Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 5. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was rejected and despised by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, as he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, his beatings, his false trials, his hanging in complete shame on the cross. What did that bring us? It brought us peace. Romans 5.1, Paul says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been made right with God, brothers and sisters. We are brought into relationship with him. We have gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
We are his children, no longer his enemies. This peace with God is the fuel that allows us to wait. We need to be reminded of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us when we start long suffering and anxiously waiting for God to move, for God to reconcile, for God to fix and do only what he can do. For those of you wrestling with the external forces of darkness in our world, I want to give you this passage that just stood out to me this week. It's too good to pass up. This is Romans 16 verse 20. Listen to this. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I mean, what a way to end the magnus opus that is the Roman epistle. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The thing that you hate, the thing that is evil, the thing that is wrong with the world, the enemy that we have that opposes the church, one day God will crush those things under your feet. We have this hope, and that hope gives us peace as we learn to wait. God said he would do. Now, he said he would do it in the cross. And brothers and sisters, he did that. He accomplished that. He is faithful to his word. So we need to be reminded of how he has been faithful to fuel us to wait in peace as we wait for him to be faithful again. Our long suffering toward peace can be fulfilling only if Jesus is part of the equation. Waiting for peace means looking forward to the day when his full shalom is present. We wait as people of peace amid our broken world. We attach our lives to Jesus as the one who is the world's peace. As disciples in his churches, we are called to be those who experience God's peace while we wait for God's actions.